almost awake. You're getting there, you're getting there. A little better than, than the 8 o'clock service did, I'll give you that. Well, hey, welcome to Pikes Peak Christian Church. We are so glad that you are here today to worship the Lord, uh, to hear from His Word. I believe God has given us a word this morning that He wants us to hear. Um, if this is your first time here, thank you so much for being here. I know it's hard to try a church for the first time. It's hard to, to walk into church, a place that you don't know, with a whole bunch of weird people um, that you don't know. We're not that weird, by the way. Um, but it's great that you're here. We're so excited uh, that you're here with us this morning. So uh, if you're just joining us, um, over the last few weeks, Pastor Darren's been leading us through this series uh, called Life in the Sun. Um, it's, we've been looking at this book of Ecclesiastes, and throughout that book, um, the author, who most people believe is this really wise guy, his name was King Solomon, most people believe he was the author, um, but he calls himself in the book The Teacher, and throughout the book, the teacher says over and over again, everything is meaningless. So the teacher has spent his life and spent his fortune and spent all of his time uh, trying to figure out really the answer to life's biggest question, which is what is the meaning, what's the purpose of life? And so as he pursues wealth, he finds that it's meaningless. As he pursues power, he finds that it's meaningless. As he pursues um, intellect, he, he finds that it's meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Everything under the sun, he says, is meaningless. Super encouraging, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but today, we're going to kind of turn the page. Today, we're going to talk about something a little bit different, because at the end of chapter 9, towards the end of chapter 9, uh, the teacher says something different. He says something that we haven't really heard him say before up to this point in the book. And what he says, um, starting in verse 13, he says this, I also saw under the sun, remember everything he's seen under the sun to this point has been meaningless, but I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. So finally, finally, the guy who's not impressed by anything, the guy who thinks everything is meaningless, the guy who's tried everything and says none of it's working for me, is impressed by one thing. He's finally impressed by something. You guys want to know what it is? Yeah? Yeah? I mean, so this isn't a library. Like, you can, I mean, I heard a couple of people, but you can be loud. Like, it's okay. You, if you hear something you like, you can, you can shout, you can clap. That's fine here, okay? I just want to let you know. All right, so here we go. Here's what he says. Picking up in verse 14, there was once a small city with only a few people in it. And a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man, poor but wise. And he saved the city by his wisdom, but nobody remembered that poor man. And so what the teacher says is that there's one thing worth pursuing. If you're going to pursue one thing, if you're going to chase after one thing, there's one thing that impressed me. And the one thing, if you're going to chase it, is wisdom. The one thing worth pursuing, according to the teacher, is wisdom. It's the only thing worth going after. Now, when we think about wisdom, I think that we have some misconceptions about what it actually is. Do, do, does anybody here know a wise person? Do you know somebody who, who you'd say is wise? Right? Well, well, I mean, I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, when I typically think of a wise person, or when our culture thinks of a wise person, we often get that confused with maybe an experienced person, an old person. We might get that confused with somebody who's successful. We might get it confused with somebody who's rich or powerful or who's intelligent or smart or somebody who stands on a stage and talks a lot. Um, but, um, so we'll keep this short today. Um, but, so we often think of those things as wisdom, but I'm not sure they are. And, and as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, it's funny. There's a symbol of wisdom that our culture embraces in the owl, right? You've heard that, the wise old owl, right? And, and any of you seen Winnie the Pooh? Right? I mean, like, classic. Yeah, man. 
I don't know how I feel about that. Like, they're more excited about Winnie the Pooh than about Scripture there. Um, so, but anyway, so in, in the story, in Winnie the Pooh, right, the, even in the song, he's called the wise old owl. But you know what the owl actually does? Like, he talks all the time. He never stops talking. He rambles on and on and on and on about all this stuff that he knows and all this stuff that he's seen and experienced. And in this particular scene, as he's rambling on and on and on and on, his treehouse is actually falling out of the tree and he's completely oblivious to what he needs to do to save his home. And I think sometimes we get the same picture of wisdom, that it's the person that's smart or the person that knows a lot or thinks they know a lot. You know, and I think that in, in our society, maybe the best example of, of smart versus wisdom might be the second lieutenant. Some of you got it. The, sec, uh, the second lieutenant. Because here's what happens. Second lieutenants, they come right out of college or out of the academy, and they show up, and they got all this college smarts. They've got their degree, and they think they're super smart, and, they're supposed to, and they think they're supposed to be in charge, right? So they come in, and they try and, and lead the enlisted people, but they really have no idea how things actually work, right? That's a second lieutenant, kind of it, by definition. Now, if you're a second lieutenant in here, don't, I don't hate you, okay? That's not, that's not a thing. Like, like, we love you. Like, and, and enlisted people actually can... Love you. I was an enlisted person for 10 years. I was in the military. By the way, I say I was in the military, not I was in the Air Force, because all of you Army people make fun of me. <laughs> that hurts my feelings a little bit. So I was in the military uh, for 10 years, and we had some really great young officers. But here's my experience. Um, I worked um, for several years inside of NORAD. One of the jobs that I had the privilege of doing was um, was I was on the, the crews that monitor all of the information systems, all the communications data, and the systems that process um, everything that, that the really important people need to know for all of North American defense, missile and space defense and air defense. So, so I worked in there, and I didn't actually make decisions on that, but I watched all the equipment, made sure the equipment stayed up, made sure that they got the information that they needed to make the decisions that needed to be made. And we would often, um, on those crews, get young lieutenants in, um, young officers would come onto our crews and think um, that they were in charge. And they were, administratively at least. But here's what happened. When stuff broke, when stuff got really bad, when we actually had to work and do our jobs to get the mission back up, the colonels in the command center didn't want to talk to that lieutenant. They wanted to talk to the enlisted crew chief who'd been there for a couple of years and who was wise on the system, who, who knew how the system behaved, who knew what it would do and how it would react if we did these things. That's the person they wanted to talk to because they recognized that while second lieutenants are smart in and of their own right, they don't yet have wisdom. But we get this confused all the time, don't we? And so it, it really begs the question, what is wisdom? What, what, how do we really define wisdom? If it's not intelligence, if it's not power, if it's not um, if it's not wealth, if it's not strength, then, then what is it? What is wisdom? Well, I think the teacher uh, can help us out a little bit in the next couple of verses here. He says, in picking up in verse 17, that the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts 
of a ruler of fools. So he, in this verse, he compares a person who speaks quietly, a person who, who leads with wisdom, who, who, who kind of is, is not boastful, is not a braggart, is not saying, hey, hey, I know what to do, so everybody come follow me. It's a quiet person. And he compares that to the foolish person who shouts and says, do what I said because I said to do it, right? And, 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 he, and he compares that to the foolish person, right? So, so we get kind of a picture of wisdom, that it's a quiet person. And then he says, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And so in verse 18, he kind of shifts to this idea of action, that, that wisdom applied is better than a weapon, that doing the thing that's wise is better than having a weapon, but sinners don't do that. They're, they're foolish, and they run after the wrong things, and they do the wrong things, and they do sinful things, and because they do sinful things, they are not wise. Now, a few years later, um, Jesus' brother guy by the name of James. He was a a church leader in the early church. He he wrote it this way, and it's a little bit easier to understand than the Hebrew that we find in Ecclesiastes. James, in chapter 3, said this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their their good life, by deeds done in the humility that come from wisdom. So there's that quietness again. There's that peacefulness. There's that gentleness, right? He says, in the, in the humility that comes from wisdom, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now that sounds to me a lot like the sinner that destroys much good, right? And then he finishes it up with, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So the picture that we get from these two authors about what wisdom is, is this idea that that it's not just knowledge. It's not just knowing, but there's an action involved. And there's a humility about that action. And so the definition kind of that I've come up with for wisdom from these two guys is that I would say that wisdom is this, that it's knowing what to do and doing it. But not in an arrogant and loud way, in a soft, quiet, humble way. So we might say that, that wisdom is really knowing what to do and humbly doing it. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of sad to say that I, I don't know that that definition describes me all the time. I mean, and I can't really lie to you because my wife's in here and my kid's in here and the people I work with are in here, and my boss is going to watch this tape, I'm pretty sure. I, I just don't know that they would describe me as always knowing what to do and always doing it humbly. I mean, can I get an amen, Jake? Right? I mean, sometimes, maybe occasionally, but, but I don't think that's how they describe me all the time. And, and if we're honest, I think that all of us would say that, that there's not a lot of people that we would describe this way all the time, that we would say that's true about them almost all the time. Most of us don't know people that are are like that on a really, truly consistent basis. I mean, we don't have a lot of them in our lives, and we certainly wouldn't say it about ourselves. But if the teacher says that wisdom, knowing what to do and humbly doing it, is the most important thing, if it's the one thing worth pursuing, then we maybe should figure out how to do that. We maybe should figure out how we can be wise. And by the way, Christians, 
you claim to be a Christ follower. And I know there's people in here who haven't made a decision about Jesus yet, man, that's fine. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're exploring that, seeing what God has to say. But, but if you've already made that decision and you're saying, yeah, I've given my life to Christ and I'm following him, if you would call yourself a Christian, seeking wisdom, it's not actually optional for you. It's not a choice that you have to make. See, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, this statement, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. So if you're a Christian, you don't actually have a choice. It's not optional for you. Because Paul has commanded us, when he was given the word by God, to say, Hey, hey, be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. So we have to live as wise people. But the problem is we don't know how to do it, right? Like, I don't know how to be wise on my own. I don't know what the right thing to do. Half the time, I don't know what the best thing to do is, let alone the right thing. I mean, it's really difficult to figure out, to know what the right thing to do is, and then to try and do it all the time. Like, man, it's not an easy thing. So, so how do we do this? Like, how do we figure, like, how do we find wisdom? Where do we go to find wisdom? Hey, that's a great answer. We're actually going to look at something else that Solomon wrote. There's a book in the Bible, it's called Proverbs, and it's all of these wise sayings that were written down, 500 or so of them that Solomon wrote down, and they were collected in this book called Proverbs, and and it's full of just all of these wise things. And here's what Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs, chapter 9. He says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom starts, if we're going to pursue wisdom, the place to begin is with the fear of the Lord. So wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Now when we hear that word fear, we typically think of like fear and trembling. Like I'm afraid that God's going to smite me if I do, if I step out of line. Like if I cross this line, God's going to like send a lightning bolt, right? I mean, that, but that's not the fear that we're talking about. That's not what he said, what he's saying because the Hebrew word here for fear doesn't mean like to be afraid. I mean, it can mean that, but what it really means is to respect, to revere, to place in a high status, to place in their proper authority. It can actually mean to worship the one who is worthy of worship, to be amazed by the person who is worthy of our amazement, to put God in his rightful place as God, to say, God, you are God, I'm not. You know what's best, I don't. You are wise, I'm not. You are righteous, I'm not. To put God in that place and to recognize that that's who he is. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And a lot of us would say, sweet, I've done that. When I was like eight years old, man, I said, God, I believe you're God, and and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to get baptized, or maybe it was a little bit later in life, or maybe we do this every day. Some of us get up and be like, hey, God, I know that you're God, like I'm having my quiet time, and you're so amazing, and you're God, and what do we do, man? We get on the road, and all of a sudden, we completely forgot that God's in charge, and we're yelling at this dude in front of us who doesn't know how to drive, right? I mean, that's how this plays out for most of us. But there's something about this word that you need to understand. And, and it was so um, enlightening to me as I studied this, this particular word of fear, as I, I looked at the original Hebrew language and tried to understand what Solomon was actually saying. And what I found is this, right? This word, fear, it's not a verb here, it's a noun, right? Which is the same in English, right? It's a person, place, or thing. But here's the difference, right? In the Hebrew, 
There's an implication of action. The definition of the noun is actually a person, place, or thing in action. Which said to me that this is not a one-time thing or an occasional thing or an everyday thing. This is an action that I'm supposed to be doing all the time. That, that this isn't just a one-time thing. This is an all-the-time thing. Like, like what it means is to have a mindset, to have a posture, to have a, a, a status in life that says constantly, all the time, you're God, I'm not. You're God, I'm not. You're God, I'm not. I trust your ways, not mine. I trust your ways, not mine. To constantly do that moment by moment throughout the day. And, and we don't do that very well. Like, I don't do that very well most of the time. And I, I think that my wife would agree that the place that I most often fail to do this, to recognize that God's ways are better than mine, to say that your wisdom is better than mine, to say that what you want me to do is better than I want to do, the place that I most often fail in that is probably in my marriage. Anybody else have that problem? Right? And, and here's why I say that. Because, because here's the command. Here's the wisdom that God gave me about marriage. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And there's a period at the end of that sentence, by the way. Not an if. Not a but. Not an or. It's a commandment. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's God's wisdom for marriage, right? And when I recognize that God is in this place, I say, okay, I'm going to do that because God says this is the way to do it. God says this is the best way, so that's the way I'm going to do it. But I don't always stay there. I usually end up in my own wisdom, which says, huh, my, uh, my needs aren't really being met, right? Because I'm a selfish man. That's what we do, right? I say my needs aren't being met, and so what do I need to do? I need to fix my wife. That's the worldly wisdom that I have, right? The worldly wisdom that I have says, hey, we had an expectation, and I was disappointed because you didn't meet my expectation, so I'm going to tell you all the ways that you can meet my expectation in the future, and then you're going to be better, and our marriage is going to be better. And let me tell you how well that works. <laughs> Clearly, you've already figured it out. It doesn't work, right? But that's what worldly wisdom says. Worldly wisdom, earthly wisdom says that marriage is a partnership. And then we have to figure out how to serve each other. And that we have to figure out how to meet each other's needs. And our pride comes in there and says, well, I need you to do this before I do this. And if you do this, then I'll do this. That's what worldly wisdom says. But God's wisdom isn't that way. It says God's wisdom says, no, 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 husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And if we really think about what that means, that is so far off the mark of where we usually land. At least for me. Because the way that Christ loved the church was that while I was still a sinner, while I was still warring against God, while I was still actively fighting him, he made himself nothing, became a servant, and died in my place. And God's wisdom says that's how I love my wife. Whether she ever serves me back or not, whether she ever respects me or not, whether she ever loves me back or not, it doesn't matter because my command, the wisdom for my God is to love her as Christ loved me. But here's the crazy thing. Like, it doesn't make sense. I can't even wrap my head around how this would be possible. And if I hadn't experienced it, 
I wouldn't believe it. And I don't do it super well all the time. But on the rare occasion when I've managed to do this, it changes my heart. It changes her heart. It makes our marriage better. It lets our marriage work when I do the thing that God tells me to do. And it doesn't make sense to me. But when I do it, and, and not because, because I'm trying to get to that place. Like, you can't say, okay, I'm going to love my wife so that she'll love me back. I'm going to love my wife so that God will do this in our marriage. Because that's not love, folks. That's manipulation. But when we do it God's way, somehow it works. And I can't understand it, but that's the wisdom. And that's the posture that we have to have, that God's way is better. That I don't get to understand it all the time. I don't get to see how it's going to work. I've got to trust that what God tells me to do is what I need to do. And it's not just in marriage. There are all kinds of areas where this is true. When we think about our future, like I know a ton of high school students and, and college students that are like, man, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to major in. I don't know where to go to college. I don't know who I'm going to marry. I don't know how many kids I want to have. I don't know what to name my kids. And I'm like, dude, you're 15. Like, take a deep breath. It's going to be all right. But there's wisdom there too, because our wisdom, our worldly wisdom says, I got to figure it out. I, I need to know what to do. I need to know what the future is going to hold. And I got to have a plan that I can follow the plan so that when the future comes, I know what to do. And I got I to know all these things and I got to freak out and I got to stress out about it. But here's what God's wisdom says. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So we say, I got to know the plan, and God says, I already got the plan. Here's what else he says. We think, I got to figure it out, man. I got I to make sure I have enough money to pay for college. I got to have enough money to do this thing. I got to do all this. I got to do all this. And there's some wisdom in that, right? There's some wisdom in being wise with our finances and resources. But we think that we have to have it all figured out and all together. And God says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And the wisdom of God says, I have a plan for you. All you have to do is follow me, trust me, stay in a relationship with me. I'll show you the plan. I'll take you down the path. I know you need these things, and I've got it taken care of. But our worldly wisdom doesn't let us do that. Our worldly wisdom comes in and says, oh my gosh, I can't trust God right now because he doesn't know my situation. He doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't know how hard this is. Like He doesn't know. He, he can't possibly know, and, and it's not true. It's a lie. But we believe the lie. And so we fall out of this place of being in the fear of the Lord, where we need to stay constantly so that we remember that his way is better, that his wisdom is wiser, that his plans are better than ours, that he knows better than we do. That's where it starts. But I'll tell you, having that posture isn't super helpful if you don't know what the commands are. If you don't know what the wisdom is, it's not super helpful to say, God, I trust you completely. You're God and I'm not. But if, I, if you don't know what he says, if you don't know what his wisdom is, that posture is good. Like, you need to start there. It's the beginning of wisdom, but it's not super helpful in the moment, right? So, like, as the teacher wrote, when a king is bringing siege works against your city and is about to destroy it, saying, God, I know you're God and I know your way is better than mine, isn't super practical for saving the city. you got to know what to do and do it you got to trust that God's way is better so that you look to his way, but you got to know what his way is. So how do we find that wisdom? Because we really haven't answered the question yet. We've said it starts with the fear of the Lord, but how do we actually get wisdom? 
Well, James, Jesus' brother, is going to help us out again. In chapter 1, verse 5, James writes this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So it's not that hard of an answer. The place we go to find wisdom is to ask God, to seek God. God gives wisdom to those who ask. To those who seek him, he will provide wisdom. If you, if you ask him for it, he will give it to you. Now, it may not come in the way that you think it's going to come. I can remember about six years ago, just a little over six years ago now, one morning I, I felt like, like, um, like I, I was ready for a change. I felt like there was something coming where I needed to, to change careers. And at the time I was a civilian working uh, for the Department of the Air Force up at Cheyenne Mountain still. And, and I just felt like God had something new for me. But I had no idea what it was. And I didn't know where to find it. I didn't know what, how to figure it out. And so one morning I was reading my Bible and I was praying. And I just spent some time with the Lord. And I just asked him. I said, God, what's your wisdom for me? What, what do you want me to do and he told me like not out loud not like the whole house shook and like everybody was freaked out and like hit the ground because we thought it was not i mean not like the old testament god speaks and like everything goes crazy not not like that but he he told me in this small voice in my head almost a whisper that said i want you to preach and i knew it was god because it's not a thing i wanted to do at the time. And so here's what I did. I did the wise thing. Not really. Right? Because this is what we do. We say, God, give me wisdom. And he says, he gives us the first step. And he says, okay, here's the first step. We go, yes, got it. Let me take care of the rest of that. Right? That's what we do. So God says, hey, I want you to go preach. And I go, oh, well, you don't have the wisdom to get me there, so let me go figure it out on my own, because that's a genius idea. So I go out and I start researching Bible colleges, right? And I start looking at all these places that I can go for school. And I'm, I'm kind of getting frustrated because I don't know what to do. I don't know what school to go to. I don't know if online is good or bad. Like, and so somebody suggested, hey, you should go talk to Pastor Darren. And I thought, hey, that's a good idea. I mean, he probably knows a little bit about Bible college. Well, I think he went to one. He did, by the way. So I went to Pastor Darren, and I said, hey, this is what happened to me. God said that he wants me to preach, and so I need to know, I need you to tell me what college I should pick, right? And so Pastor Darren, in his loving way, looked me in the eye and said, I think you should go nowhere. And I said, thank you. That's not helpful. (laughs) But he followed it up. And what he said afterwards was, before you spend a bunch of time and a bunch of money pursuing a degree that may or may not be right for you, why don't you come serve? Why don't you come lead something in our church? Why don't you come teach something in our church? Why don't you see if God confirms that calling, confirms those gifts in you, before you go and spend a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of time? And you know what? That was wise counsel. Because in the year that I spent serving here before I went to school, I learned a lot of things about what it takes to be a pastor, about what it takes, what you need, what kind of education I needed to be a better pastor. And it actually influenced the decision I made about what school I went to. And that wouldn't have happened if Darren had just said, hey, yeah, yeah, go to college, that's fine. But he gave me wise counsel. So sometimes God speaks to us directly. 
Sometimes he puts other people in our lives to give us wise counsel. And there are some great places in this church where you can find wise counsel. We've got small groups happening all the time, life groups that happen in people's homes. These are filled with people who want to bring wise counsel, who study scripture together, who study the word and say, here's what God's word says. Here's, here's how we can apply this to your situation. Here's how we can help you through this moment. Here's some wisdom for it. We have marriage ministry. It's going on right now. Uh, it's going to start up again in April. In the marriage class, they have table leaders who do the same thing, who find out about your situation and apply God's word to it and bring wisdom into that situation. Who are They bring wise counsel to that situation. We've got one other group that I want to tell you about. It's kind of a special group. It's called Celebrate Recovery. And these guys do the same thing. They bring wise counsel to the situation. And, and Franklin, um, go ahead and bring your family up here, man. All you CR guys, come on up again. Um, I, I want to introduce you real quick to, to this um, young man who is, like, super cut and kind of makes me feel like I'm a little intimidated right now. I'm not going to lie. Right? Um, but this is Franklin and his wife, Heather. And uh, Franklin has been a part of CR for a while now, and Franklin has found wise counsel there to help him uh, through his um, situation in life. And um, he's going to tell you about it in just a second, I think. Yeah, Chris got the mic good. Um, and so, um, but, but Franklin is getting ready to deploy. He's not a lieutenant, by the way. Um, so we're going to be okay with that. But, but he's getting ready to deploy to Afghanistan for nine months. And, um, and while he's there, he intends to take the CR program with him. So he's going not only as a soldier. So Franklin has been so impacted by this program that he's not going just as a soldier, but in his free time, he's going to be really a missionary and to proclaim the good news and to bring freedom and healing to these troops in Afghanistan. And so this morning, um, I want to let him tell you just a little bit of his story, uh, and then we'll pray for him. All right, go ahead, Franklin. Tell me your story, man. Hey, church family. My name is Franklin. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with drugs, alcohol, and anger. And uh, I'd like to tell you a short story real quick. Um, about nine years ago, I found myself very deep into my addictions, and I was, I was really riding high. And as most addicts, you're going to hit rock bottom at some point. And I literally hit rock bottom when I fell 40 feet into an alley, landed on my head. Uh, almost died that day, and ended up in the hospital for a while with what ended up to be eight, eight and a half pages of medical records, and over $63,000 in medical debt. God never waits to hurt, though. And just as Pastor Sam said, Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And he did that for me when I found Celebrate Recovery. I've been, uh, been free of drugs and alcohol for over a year now. And, and the Lord's really, he's been working in my life to, to give me a lot of opportunity to take this ministry downrange and to help serve other people and bring God's word to them. And uh, just like to thank you for your, for your time. Let me share. Hey, so, so church, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Rick to come up and pray for, for Franklin and Heather in this service. But hey, before we pray... Um, Guys, this doesn't work without the church behind him. We, we can't just send him out and be like, okay, man, go do that thing and let us know how it goes, right? That's, that's not how it works, right? We, we've got to stand with them if this is going to be successful. And so I'm just going to challenge you this morning, church, 
um, would, can I get five of, at least five of you? Now, last service, last hour, we got um, like 13 or 14 people who committed to praying for Franklin and his ministry, the nine months that he's gone, every day for nine months while he's gone. Can I get five people in this service who will raise their hand and pray for his family, who will commit to praying for Heather and their daughter, who will commit to praying for that? So here's the deal. If you're raising your hand right now, after this service, Franklin's going to be at the long counter right outside here. I want you to go meet with him. Um, get his email address and give him your email address so he can keep you up to date on what's going on with the ministry so that you can support him in prayer while he ministers to these soldiers on the other side of the world, all right? Can we do that? All right. Pastor Rick, pray for us, man. All right. Would you stretch your hands out uh, towards Franklin? Thank you. Father in heaven, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus, and we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to fall upon this man Lord, you have uh, um, placed a, a great calling on his life to take Celebrate Recovery uh, to Afghanistan with the soldiers, Lord, there that are going to be serving our country and serving the people there as well, Lord. Father, I ask that um, you would walk with him and that you would talk with him, that you would give him wisdom beyond himself, Lord. Father, that he would be able to share the great testimony that you have placed in his life of how you, he has found you. And, Lord, how he is walking with you now, Lord. Father, I ask that that be an encouragement to the other soldiers that are there, Lord. Father, that he be able to link arms and be able to uh, do ministry together there as well. And Lord, I ask that you just be with uh, Heather as well, Lord. Father, as they are apart these next nine months, that you would uh, be with her. That we as a church family, Lord, would be faithful in praying for Franklin and Heather and the family, Lord. Father, that they would um, become stronger during this time that they are separated. So, Lord, we bring them to you, and we ask, Lord, that you would work miracles um, several thousand miles away from here by what you have done um, in this man's life. We pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. guys, God is doing incredible work in all of these environments through wise counsel. There's one other place that we can go to find wisdom. Like, there's one other place that God has pointed us to when we say, God, I need wisdom. When we ask God for wisdom, there's one place that he's pointing us to more than any others, and it's the most neglected and overlooked place, and it's kind of a shame. But God has given us so much wisdom. He's given us so much instruction, so much good stuff. In his word, this collection of books that we call the Bible. And if we would just open it and read his word and hear what he has to say to us, we would find wisdom. We would find good counsel there. And so this morning, if you don't have a Bible, but you have a smartphone, I want you to go ahead and take it out of your pocket. I mean, you're probably already playing Crossy Road or something on it anyway. It's fine. So you got your smartphone out. If you don't have a Bible and you have a smartphone, I want you to right now go to the app store for whatever you have and type in version. Two words, Y-O-U version, V-E-R-S-I-O-N. Type it in on your search bar. Download that app. It's a free Bible app that gives you all kinds of access to content, okay? So you have permission to stop listening to me right now and do that because it's actually more important than what I'm going to say, that you have a copy of the Bible. And if you don't have a smartphone and you don't have a Bible then we will give you one before you leave here today. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of the other pastors. We will make sure you have a Bible because it is the most important tool for knowing what God says, for knowing his wisdom and saying yes to him is being in the word and hearing what God has to say specifically to you. It's so, so important. So just to recap a little bit here, here's what we've talked about this morning. 
Wisdom is more valuable than anything else. It's worth pursuing above anything else. And we define wisdom as knowing what to do and humbly doing it. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, putting God in his proper place and keeping him there all the time. And God gives wisdom to anyone who asks. That's the good news. Some of the good news. But I got some bad news for you. The bad news is, you can't actually be wise. And I can't actually be wise. And Pastor Darren can't actually be wise. And our elders can't actually be wise. Not all the time. Not to God's standard. See, the Bible says, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. God's standard is that we're wise all the time, 100% of the time, and none of us have done that. And Paul also says that there is no one who does the right thing, not even one person who can do the right thing on their own. And so wisdom is impossible for us to achieve. It's not something that we can work up to. It doesn't matter how much you read the Bible. It doesn't matter how much you say, okay, I trust God. None of those things matter. You can't actually be wise on your own. It's because of this thing called sin that started thousands of years ago when we believed a lie that we could be like God. That there aren't consequences for not obeying God. That we can actually be gods ourselves. That we can know right from wrong. That we can make our own decisions about that. That we can decide for ourselves. That's the lie that Eve believed in the garden. And it's the same lie that we believe today, isn't it? In my marriage, it's the lie that I believe. That I can make better decisions than what God's told me to do. In my finances, it's the lie that I believe that I can make better decisions than what God's told me to do. It's the lie that I believe. It's the lie that you believe. And so none of us can be wise. There's good news. You don't have to be. Because Christ was wise for you. When we couldn't, Christ did. And we we can't. He has already won. And so 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came on the scene as a man clothed in flesh just like we are. Faced every temptation that we face. And yet he was wise in every situation. And although he did not deserve the punishment that we deserve, he didn't deserve to die the death that we deserve because we haven't kept God's standard. He went willingly to the cross, took our place, died and rose again, overcoming sin, overcoming death, and making us wise through him. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, it is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. See, we don't have to be wise because Christ is our wisdom. He's already done it. And so the way to live as wise people is to surrender to him to say God I can't do this on my own I want to be smart on my own I want to be intelligent on my own I want to be successful but God I don't want what I want I want what you want 